Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to the return of the Nope Too Creepy podcast. I will be bringing it back with a few changes. The new upload schedule is now once a month on the last Thursday of every month. Stories will range from two to three short stories or one long story. And my jibber-jabber between each story will be, well, noticeably reduced. In keeping with that promise, we're going to dive right into story number one. Join three friends as they enter a notorious and forbidden portion of their local woods and become targeted by a mysterious and sinister force, the Creatures of Needle Point Creek. I think every town has urban legends that float around. Although even as a kid, I never believed them. I always saw them as just silly stories locals had made up to scare the children. The stories of the creatures of Needle Point Creek seemed ludicrous to me. I learned later on that I was terribly mistaken. Needle Point Creek is located deep in the woods of Indiana. In fact, it wasn't too far from my childhood home. I lived on the edge of town, right about where the woods began. My friends and I always played in the woods, building forts and climbing trees. We would never go far enough to reach the creek, though. My mother was never the overprotective type, but she forbade that I go deep into the woods with my friends. It's not safe, she said. I remember asking her why, but she would never tell me. My father once told me the stories about Needle Point Creek. Creatures black as night, with claws as sharp as knives, wreak havoc upon the lost souls near Needle Point Creek. Don't ever go there, you understand? He would always tell me. I never believed him. I thought he was only trying to reinforce my mom's rule. As we got older, my friends and I got more and more curious about what the deep woods actually contained. It was summer of our senior year. I was sitting in my room with my friends when Nathan brought up the idea that we travel deep into the woods and camp out for one night near the creek. Are you crazy? Ben asked. Our parents warned us to never go there, and you just want to have a sleepover there like it's no big deal? Oh, come on, Ben, I blurted out. This could be our last summer here. Don't you want to find out if the rumors are true? Besides, maybe you'll finally find a girlfriend there, I teased. Ha, you're so funny, he shot back. Fine, but only for one night, and you have to do my homework for a week. Deal, I smirked and shook his hand. June 15th, around 3 p.m., we set off into the woods, armed only with our camping gear and determination. At about two miles in, the trail ended abruptly, into thick brush and woodland. Looks like we're going to just have to rough it from here, Nathan said. 
Let's do this, I said, determined. It was hard to maneuver over the uneven ground, covered with decaying leaves and tree roots. We reached a river that had been dried out long ago, leaving a deep hole in its path that extended for miles. I spotted a fallen tree that fit perfectly over the edge. Not to worry, boys. I think we just found our way across. Nathan made it across just fine. Come on, guys. It's not so bad. Ben began to panic. No, you guys. I don't have good balance. I don't think I should. Listen, man. The log is wide enough. If you're careful, you won't even have to worry. You can do this, okay? I reassured him. Okay. He hesitated. He began to cross nervously. He reached about halfway, and then I watched in horror as his body shifted in a way that looked like he was being pushed by an invisible force. He lost his footing and fell into the ravine. His body hit the rocky ground below with a sharp thud. Holy shit! I screamed. Ben, are you okay? I found a way to lower myself to the bottom. When I reached him, his body was curled into a ball, and he was holding his leg while crying. Let me see. He lifted his hand to reveal a sharp, jagged edge of a bone protruding from his leg. Damn it! Nathan muttered. We have to go back. How do you suppose we do that? I questioned. Ben can't exactly walk at the moment, and we can't just leave him here. Okay, maybe we can carry him, you know, like on our backs or something, Nathan said, panicked. Okay, but how would we get him out of this ravine? I, I have rope in my bag, Ben groaned. You could tie it around my waist and pull me out that way. The process of getting Ben out of there was excruciating. Nathan and I tied a makeshift harness around his body. Nathan climbed up the rock wall and began to pull the rope. I stayed behind to guide him. I told you we shouldn't have done this. Ben cried out in pain as his broken limb hit the rock wall. I'm so sorry, Ben. I promise we're going to get you out of this. I felt awful. Once we got Ben to the surface, Nathan and I threw each of his arms over our shoulders. With the inevitable darkness of night looming over us, we began heading the direction we came from. Ben yelped out in pain with every step. We walked about a mile and then came across a stretch of bushes. I'll go see what's on the other side before we drag Ben through there, Nathan said. He disappeared in the bushes for a moment. It went silent. Nathan, I called out. No response. Come on, man. This isn't funny. You guys aren't going to believe this, he said as he appeared from the bushes. 
What are you talking about? We must have circled back or something, he said. What do you mean? I asked, alarmed. I don't know. We're back at the ravine. That's impossible. We went straight through, I almost shouted. If you don't believe me, you can take a look for yourself. I pushed through the bushes, and sure enough, we were back at the ravine. Suddenly, everything was quiet. Hey guys, are you back there? No response. Guys! Suddenly, I heard giggling, but there was something off about it. It almost didn't sound human. Ben! Nathan! Is that you? The laughing turned into a low growl. I ran back through to the other side. Why do you look scared? Ben asked. Yeah, why do you look so scared, Isaac? Nathan smirked. I... I don't know. I guess there's an animal back there or something. I think you're just imagining things. I didn't hear anything. Nathan said as he stared past me. We headed through the brush yet again to try and find our way out. About half a mile later, we came to the same patch of bushes. Okay, I know for sure we did not circle around. This isn't possible, Ben yelled. I don't know what's happening. I began to panic. And Nathan said nothing. Stay here. I'm going to go find a way out of here. I told them. I ran through the woodland trying not to trip. I found myself back in front of the bushes. What the hell? I shouted. I ran in a different direction. Back at the bushes. I ran again and again and found myself back at those same bushes each time. Guys, I think we're stuck in some kind of loop. I tried to catch my breath. That's not possible, Ben said in disbelief. I don't know, okay? All I know is I tried every direction and every direction led me back here. I don't know what's going on, but for right now, there's no way out. I tried to come to terms with it as the words left my mouth. What are we going to do? I don't know, but for right now our best bet is to try and stay calm and set up camp while we figure this out. Nathan and I set up the tent we brought with us. I built a fire and then tried my best to stabilize Ben's wound with a first aid kit I had taken from my parents' closet. Hey, Isaac, Ben said as I was wrapping his leg in gauze. Yeah? What if our parents were right? What do you mean? I asked. About the creatures. What if that's what's happening to us right now? That's not possible. 
Those are just silly kid stories. I tried to reassure him. But I had a feeling in the pit of my gut that I was wrong. Night fell over us in a blanket of darkness. We all sat around the fire to keep warm. Nathan stared off into the darkness. We should just accept it, he said in a trance-like state. Uh, accept what? I asked, concerned. We're never getting out of here. They're coming for us. They're going to take us, and we should just accept it. Who's they? I asked, frightened. Them, he replied as he pointed out into the dark. You know something, Isaac? He continued, reaching into his bag. Dude, what are you talking about? I said on edge. The creatures really aren't that bad. In fact, he said calmly as he began to pull out a fishing knife out of his bag. Nathan, what are you doing with the knife? I panicked. I think we should embrace them. He laughed, and I watched in shock as he lurched forward and stabbed Ben in the stomach. I heard Ben scream as the knife plunged in and out of his body. No! I screamed. The next few seconds passed in slow motion. I ran toward him and tried to tackle him. With almost inhuman strength, Nathan threw me into a tree. I felt my skull hit the base of the tree, and then everything went black. I woke up slumped against the tree. My eyes fluttered open as I saw Nathan crying next to Ben's lifeless body. What have I done? What have I done? He sobbed. They made me do this! He screamed. Who made you do what? I choked. The creatures! I never wanted to hurt anyone, but they made me! His face was smeared with blood. I tried to sit up. It's okay. We can fix this. I tried to calm him. No, we can't. Ben is dead. They made me kill him. And now... He said as he stood up. They're going to make me kill you too. He cried as he headed toward me. Nathan, we can talk through this. I'm your friend. I pleaded. I'm so sorry, Isaac. He sobbed as he raised the blade above me. In a split second, I saw a large, black, mist-like creature swoop in over him. With claws as sharp as knives, the creature disemboweled Nathan. I watched as his intestines fell from his stomach. The creature took one final swipe. Nathan's head came off and rolled towards me.
I began screaming as I was coated in his blood. I vomited and began to sob. I heard the creature let out a shrill screech as it disappeared into the darkness of the night. Take me too! I cried, not wanting to live with what I had just witnessed. Eventually, I decided to try and walk back home. The way back was difficult because of my concussion, but I was no longer stuck in a loop. I reached my house. My mother screamed when she saw that I was covered in blood. She cried as she held me. You went into the woods, didn't you? I just stared at the wall, in shock and trying to process everything. No one except for my mother believes me about the horrors of that day. I'm writing this from prison. I'm being held on two counts of first degree murder. I don't know why the creature decided to let me live. It would have been kinder just to kill me. I guess I'll never know. I'm an innocent man. You, dear reader, maybe won't believe me. Maybe you do. Whatever you choose to believe, I ask that you please beware the creatures of Needlepoint Creek. Our next two stories are in honor of the upcoming American Independence Day. In this first one, we are told about a mysterious sighting and recall a serious memory on the 4th of July. I'll begin my story with a brief explanation on what I'm about to write. While it may not be necessarily bone-chilling, it's a true experience not only for me, but for the handful of people that were around me. Everyone has their plans for Independence Day, and for a lot of us that means fireworks. While my family and I would usually launch off quite a few on our own, we weren't able to obtain anything during this time because you have to go to South Carolina in order to get any. We lived in Virginia where it was illegal. Being July 4th and without any fun to shoot off on our own, we decided to go to a local park that has small mountains and that was hosting its own firework display for anyone to come and watch. We got there around 7.30 p.m., and it was already pretty packed. Other than the chilly winds, the nights were like most other summer nights in the city. I was only about 12 at the time, so I was absolutely impatient about the show. Alas, the display of vibrant explosions started roughly 10 minutes later than scheduled. Sadly, the display was not as incredible as I had hoped for, but if it had been, I wouldn't have overheard the man next to me on the phone who was trying to get put through to NASA. As everyone knows, July 4th is a national holiday, 
Therefore, any federal agencies, NASA included, would be closed. That's when it hit me. He had to have had a pretty good reason to be calling NASA. I noticed he was pointing out something in the sky to his young son. I immediately saw exactly what he was looking at, and was immediately shocked and confused. There was what appeared to be one bright light, slightly larger than the stars, that seemed to be accelerating at high speeds. It would dash in a straight line, then disappear completely. The light would then show up again in the same spot it disappeared, and once again it would dart off in another angle, before dissipating. I couldn't believe my eyes. Whatever I was witnessing was making complete triangles in the sky at high speeds. At this point, the man next to me was desperate to connect with any department within NASA. These strange lights kept going for roughly 15 to 20 minutes. They amused me so much that I completely forgot about the subpar firework display. I remember thinking how strange it was that it seemed to be running over the same path over and over again. It never did anything beyond that triangular path of shooting and dimming. It never seemed to make a sound, but I assume if it did, it would be drowned out by the loud fireworks, or simply be too far away to hear. A few months down the line, we had gone on vacation somewhere in North Carolina with extended family. Apparently, one of my relatives had a friend who actually worked for NASA and overheard me retelling the story of the strange lights. She immediately called up her colleague for me to talk to, which was the coolest thing ever, being 12 years old. This woman had been working for NASA for something like 10 or 15 years, but I never figured out what field exactly that she was in. First, I asked her if anything had been reported or seen the night of July 4th. She told me that there hadn't been. I frantically told her my story the best I could, explaining that the light would dim, then shine again as it burst into another direction. She took a deep breath and then softly said, Do you think they were maybe flares? Apparently, satellites often drop flares, but for obvious reasons, I told her what I saw were definitely not flares. She even explained to me that flares would only go in one direction across the sky. The last thing she said to me of any significance was, Whatever you saw, you don't need to worry about it. To this day, I can still remember it so clearly. I know what I saw, and I know I wasn't the only one. I know it wasn't a plane, or flares, or satellite, or anything passing over. What I saw was going at incredibly high speeds, in the same path over and over again, and violently dimming out. Now you know my story. And maybe, just maybe, someone has had the same experience as me. Maybe somebody has seen the triangle just like I did that day, 
but until someone does step up, what I saw will remain unknown. And finally, this last story might make you think twice before lighting off any fireworks this year. Enjoy, they're putting something strange in our fireworks. I didn't expect this 4th of July to be different than any other. Every year, my wife, son, and I would have the same tradition. Buy some root beer floats, head out to the lake, stop at the local mom and pop shop for fireworks, and then light them off at around 7pm. My son, Denny, is 10 years old and loves fireworks. My wife, however, always had an irrational fear of them. Or so I thought it was irrational, until two hours ago. We got to the fireworks stand around 4pm that day. Denny picked out a few of his favorites. They were mostly those tiny ones that flare up a little bit, like the army tanks and the smoke bombs. My wife, Erica, always stayed at the lake house and watched from a distance. I don't want you to think I'm a bad father, because I'm not. Denny also had to keep his distance while I lit the fireworks. After we finished roasting s'mores on the fire, and Danny shared one of his made-up spooky stories, Erica went inside to take a shower. Dad, Mom's gone. Denny paused. Can we do them now, please? His pearly blue eyes appeared glazed near the fire pit. Sure thing, buddy. I say, opening up the car and reaching for the 20 or so fireworks. This one first, he says, handing me the army tank. It was always his favorite. As I lit the string, I told Denny to take a few steps back. He watched in awe as the string lit up. At first, I was too busy adoring my son and his childlike curiosity. Then, I noticed the strange smell coming from the firework. It wasn't a sulfuric or smoky smell. It was something different altogether. I couldn't explain it. I flared my nostrils and trudged on, getting ready to light the second firework. Dad, are you okay? I'm fine. I just feel a little lightheaded is all. I stood back a little further this time, even though I thought that the first firecracker had been some sort of fluke. I watched as the fire went up into a flame, except for this time it was green instead of purple. By the second firework, I started feeling dizzy and lightheaded. I looked over at Denny, who moved closer to me. Step away, Denny, I whispered. I wasn't even sure he could hear me. I woke up one hour later. I was laying in a hospital bed. Oh, Shane, thank God, Erica said, placing a wet rag on my forehead. Uh, what happened? 
Where's Denny? I asked. He's... My wife's brow scrunched up. Look, no one blames you. Where is he? I yelled. He's a few doors down. They've got him on a respirator. She said, looking away. What happened? I asked. Is he going to be okay? There was something in those fireworks. No one is sure what, but... She pulled down the bedsheets. I looked down at my arms and chest, which were exposed with giant pus-filled red blisters. I watched as some of them oozed a greenish-yellow liquid. What? What's happening to me? I asked. They don't know. They thought maybe the fireworks were laced with something. They were pulled from the entire county. I just don't understand. It's the same brand we buy every year. I trailed off. As I laid in my bed and waited for Erica to come back with good news about Denny, I knew I had to stop other families from getting hurt. I don't know how many more hours of this I can endure. It's almost like the blisters are pulsating. It's as if they have their own heartbeat. I can feel myself sweating and going in and out of consciousness. Someone help me. Another update. It's been a few days. I'm still in the hospital. I can barely move at this point. Denny is unconscious, but we're hoping he still pulls through. I've seen men in military uniforms walk past me a few times. Now two of them are guarding my door. I buzzed the nurse a few times to get me some water, but the guards aren't letting anyone in or out. I'm not sure what's going on anymore. I want to thank all of you for joining me in the reanimation episode of the Nope Too Creepy podcast. If you're interested in learning more about the authors of these stories, please check the show notes for all their information. Just a reminder that new episodes will be posted on the last Thursday of every month. In the meantime, if you could give this show a follow on whatever platform you're streaming on, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, uh, Google Podcasts, I'm still new to all this. That would be awesome. So until next time, this is your host, Dan David, reminding you all to stay safe out there. I'll be seeing you in the next episode.